because I went to Vietnam last year, and Vietnam, you think it's a third world country and all this type of stuff, which it could be. Like, there's certain pockets that definitely is, but we went to this one city named Da Nang, and I kid you not, I thought I landed in Miami. Like, it was just insane. Like, the technology infrastructure they have there, the, the incubators they have there, like, they have almost had one at, like, every other street corner. Right. And some of the companies that were coming out that, that you talked about, and, and I was on vacation, but I'm naturally curious enough to go visit. And talking to these guys, I'm like, this doesn't, like, everything they've built in the city, that's literally the one place where I didn't even feel like I was in Vietnam. This episode of the Bloomex Podcast is brought to you by MCRO, who enables businesses to grow through handcrafted digital solutions of the future. MCRO is a web and mobile app development studio with a competent, dedicated, and experienced team focused on solving business challenges through fast-to-market and high-performance digital products. If you're looking to turn your disruptive ideas into reality or have a reliable strategic par tech partner to explore options for your existing work, reach out to Henry Yu from MCRO for a chat over coffee or a bone shaker IPA. Your choice. Okay, so we're on. David from Yspace, thank you for joining us here today, man. Thank you for having me, Ravi. Yeah, so I mean, I just want to take some time today to go over with you, like, um, what Yspace is, what do you guys do, how you got involved, yeah. um, what kind of companies you guys work with. Um, you're the Innovation Center for um, University of York. Yep. Right, York University, sorry. Um, and you're located in Markham. Yeah, so it, it, I think it's a funny story because it's kind of, everyone's first thought is like, why are you in Markham? How did this even happen? Because where we are is essentially Keel, Keel and Steels. Um, essentially, the whole thing really started because um, in 2015, we won an RFP to build a campus for Markham. So if you look at the entire York region where there's nine municipalities, um, it's probably the biggest region that doesn't has, have an institution in it. So we won the bid and we were lucky enough to be able to go in and build something. Um, but before we built that, the university kind of said, you know what, like we kind of know we want to go in and build this as a community. We want to build a university that's integrated with Markham. People can walk through, really has that downtown vibe. Because that's, yep. that's where we're located. It's, it's called downtown Markham. So it's a revitalization to bring life into Markham. Um, so we have a lot of corporates, a lot of like fun, fun lifestyle type of restaurants as well for people. Um, so we got in there about 2017 and we opened our doors in January. Um, so it's roughly been about two years now, but the main thing that we were kind of focused on is creating this community hub where we can work with students, corporates, and startups to help them scale and grow and learn about entrepreneurship and what that looks like. Um, so now what, we're, what we essentially mainly do is help scale technology and food companies and help them scale up to the point where they're ready to move on and take on their own offices. Um, right now, we're at about 27 companies that we work with, so uh, the, the wide variety kind of goes anywhere from technology in the med tech, property technologies, hardware, software, you name it, we have the whole gamut. Um, but the future is to scale down because it takes a lot of time to work with every single sector out there. Um, but we're trying to feel out what's in the community and what the people are working on so we, can, we know where to tailor our resources. But the other side that we started focusing on that we're actually super excited for, and so is the community, is this food and beverage space in the consumer packaged goods. Um, it's something that not a lot of people talk about. Uh, we all love food, we all eat food, it's a common thing, but no one thinks about how do we scale these food companies up and how do we work with them. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of support from a food starter standpoint that's in downtown Toronto. They recently closed in December, but when we saw how Arlene Dickinson came in, bought them out, rebranded them District Ventures Kitchen, we're like, we're doing something right. There's, there's a lot of attention on it right now, just a little, a little scene that's starting to burst and we can kind of tell. 
So we built this food accelerator where our purpose is to take companies that are in stores, has traction, but scaled up three to five times over the next five months. And we're, we're, we're happy to say we've selected six companies that we're excited to work with, um, and we're launching in September, and we'll take us through to February. Um, and some of the companies we're, we're really happy with, and we think there's going to be some, some really good ones that's going to scale up really fast, um, and hopefully we'll be able to support them in that as well. That's amazing because um, exactly like what you said, like, I, I think servicing different markets is so important. Uh, we're seeing a lot of different incubators, accelerators to help the, the innovation economy grow and flourish mm -hmm. in the region. Um, and CPG brands, especially the new emerging yeah. ones, it's not, there is not a lot of support. Yeah. Um, but let's dial into that a little bit. Like, so why is there a need for this? Like, uh, mm -hmm. Why are there new emerging CPG brands? Like, what is the markets they're addressing and what do they look like? Yeah, I, I think I, lo I love what you said. Like, was there a need? Because honestly, we, we questioned it too when we started. So background is started at the DMZ, worked in, like, worked in that field. So all we did was service tech. So, so when I came to Yspace, it was like, this is easy. Like, I know how to do the technology incubator. Let's just get it up, get it running, take the DMZ model, replicate it. Um, but what we started found, finding really weird was, I think for the first six months, every week we got a call from a food company in the area being like, how can you help us? And we're like, we can't, we can't. And after six months of hearing the same thing over and over again, I think as an, as an organization and as a team, we have to sit back and say, something's not right. Like if everyone keeps asking, something's not right in the ecosystem and someone needs to do something. So we kind of turned our heads and said, okay, are we, do we want to be the ones? Do we want to say, you know what, let's test this, let's try it. So we did that. We took on two food companies and we tested the models that we had and the assumptions that we had. Um, and we started working with some of them and we were able to get one company to $260,000 last year and this year on track for a million dollars with the US. So we said, you know what, there's a model we're figuring out right now. We, we think we know what it's gonna look like. Let's test it more. So the more we're testing it and building these things out, we're like, we think we have something that a lot of these companies can use. And talking to the community, the other part of it is technology is an ecosystem. If you think about it from Waterloo to Toronto to San Fran, like everyone's, there's, a, there's an entire ecosystem built around how to scale these companies up. In food, it doesn't exist. So you have your co-packers, you have your manufacturers, you have your suppliers, and you mm -hmm. have, like no one really talks. Your retailer, your broker, everyone's like, here's what I do really well, leave me alone. Here's what I do really well, leave me alone. But like, we're like, if you guys just talk and figure out how you can support the ecosystem, that'd be fantastic. Like one of the biggest challenges we see for food companies when they're ramping up is that when they have these massive purchase orders and they want to, they want to take, take it on, they can't. Because their co-packers or the manufacturers are like, well, you have to give me this much minimum, so spend this much dollar. Like, I don't even have that. How do I have that without, without actually producing the equipment or producing the product and selling it and getting the cash flow? I can't. So that was the biggest thing that we started seeing. We're like, okay, can we build this network out and have these conversations of, hey, here's where struggle, the struggles of the companies are. Can we fix this as an ecosystem? Can we do this together rather than us being like, well, this is how I make my money, so leave me alone and do what I need. Um, so that's where we kind of said, you know what, this is going to be a really big challenge, not only to support food companies, but to help educate the entire ecosystem and bring everyone together. Um, so one of the things we're doing right now is we know that it can't just be us. So we, we are working closely with the York Region um, government and they have a food network uh, kind of sector and they have individuals who are very specific on agri agriculture and food and we're working with them to help to have them help us identify all the manufacturers co-packers brokers everyone in the community and we say okay can you help us bring everyone together and then can we start doing the conversation both ways from a government a government organization from an outside institution can we tackle this both ways and say how do we help these companies scale forget this i need to make my money 
let's all grow together. Because in the long run, if you say, I need to make my money, it's so short-sighted that if these companies scale up and they stay with you, you're going to make so much more down the road. So that's our focus right now is say, let's build this out together with the community. Um, and we think we're going to be solving something that's going to be really interesting in the next couple of years. I think the food scene will probably really pop in the next three to five years. Um, so we're just figuring that out right now, I think. So why is that? Like, why is food or beverages going to pop? What's, what's the demand there? Um, I mean, you, you talked about how the industry doesn't really communicate to each other. Like, other than the, the process, like the disruption in the distribution channels, do you see that being the disrupting force, or do you see the actual products changing? It's a bit of everything, I think. Um, product is definitely one of those things that I think is going to change just because of trends that are happening, regulations that are coming out. Like, everyone is on... I swear everyone I know in my life has been on this keto diet at yep, one point yep, in their life. Yep. This keto diet, this new craze, <laughs> like, oh my goodness. And it's like, okay, well, hire food companies and adapt because if you see all the candy, candy, all the candy on, in the store shelves are sugar, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be that if you're on a keto diet, you can't have candy. There's got to be sugarless ones, right? So it's like, how do people adapt to that? So we've seen a massive trend in companies and products that are saying, you know, we're going to cut off sugar, we're going to find alternatives, alternative sweeteners and mm -hmm. use that as a product and create a new product line. So that's already one thing that we've seen. These, as these different trends pop up in our lifestyle, it's going to change the products around us and it's going to change the way we like to consume it. And then the companies are forced to change. I think that's the first thing. The second thing I think we're starting to see in the first time, I think CPG comp major companies are always dominant. They've never shrunk. But I think it's the first time they're starting to be like, there's these companies coming up. We're going to have to take a look. We're going to see what they're doing. If you look at Pepsi and General Mills, they've created their own incubators because they're like, you know what, we need to figure out what's innovative. We need to figure out how we kind of keep changing. So they're at a point where they're taking on companies as well. So I think we're at this, just this starting ground where we're seeing more in the US. In Canada, really, there's only two food accelerators. In the US, you have a hub in New York, you have a hub in Chicago. So we're like, okay, this is really interesting. But the other thing that no one's talking about is all the food investors, right? It's a very different scene as well, and we're figuring that out right now. So I think. The, the, the trends that are going to come are going to dictate what we sell, but there's going to be little fun things that people want. So there's one company that we, we're working with right now. Um, they're doing this alcohol-infused popcorn called Eatable, right? So you're thinking, okay, alcohol-infused popcorn, why? And it's cool, but it's like we don't really know a lot of gourmet popcorn companies. So they're trying to target and say, we're going to be gourmet popcorn, right? Like everything they do is about high, high scale, kind of really high quality stuff. Um, so when they first bought it to us, we're like, interesting, don't know if we'll pick up, right? But at the end of the day, it's also like, I don't know what the customers are going to want. So they came back to us in six months, they're like, well, we're, we're on track to hit this, we're getting our own, our own manufacturing site, because that's how much quantity they're pushing out. And we're like, oh crap, like, at the end of the day, it's also, we can't dictate, I think that's a difference. In technology, you can look at a tech, a piece of tech and be like, this is going to be great, and we know it, because that's where everything's pushing towards. Let's go on it. For food they kind of just have to go and test. They have to go, let the market tell them what it is, and then we buy, buy in behind them. Um, but they're one company that we fall in love now. Like, my fiance, she probably buys the popcorn on a regular. Mm. They have this one that's called, like, Champagne on the Pop, and it's, like, a popcorn that is coated in white Belgian chocolate, but it has Pop Rocks in it. Okay. So, as, so this whole Champagne fizzy poppy feel, it's you eat it, as the chocolate melts, you get the fizz. And it just, just really weird little sensations, but it's like, 
who would have thought to put those things together? So that's the other fun part about this. It's like the combinations they're going to put together, the creativity they have behind these things. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. There's alcohol in, in They them? cook off the alcohol so kids can eat it too. Okay. So that's the other part that's like, okay, well, how does that work? And, and I think we're just going to see more and more of these. Like we saw the first, probably one of the first, if not the first, um, gluten-free and sugar-free vitamins. And, and that's the first product that we've seen in a while that we're like, it's, it's, gluten, free, um, it's gluten free because, um, and there's no gelatin in it. That's the biggest thing, I think, for a yeah. lot of folks who are vegan. Kind of, are, are vegan or halal, whatever it is, right? Like you can have a, a lot of the, the gummies sometimes because there's gelatin in it. So this is the first company that we've seen is just completely taking it out. So there's these little things that we don't talk about enough that are such small markets, but that can be adopted. Um, so we're excited about what that's going to look like as well. And I think it's, it's food is just becoming a trend. Like we see all the pop-up shops and stuff like that. I think it's one of those things that people consistently go, oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. But no one's really like, how do I turn that into a business? How do I turn that into an opportunity? So we think that in the next three to five years, people are going to start turning their heads a little bit more and, and putting a little bit more focus on it. Um, and that's going to be really exciting. I think the biggest factor, like I said, is Arlene Dickinson, one of the dragons, saying, you know what, I'm going to purchase this food starter, which went under, and we're going to run our own programming, right? Like, for, for someone of her caliber, of her stature, to come into Toronto and say, we're going to build that, and we're going to run that here, you can kind of see, it's like, she sees it as well. So that kind of gave us a validation, right? People are like, well, she's your competitor. We're like, no, 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 it's validation yeah. that we're right, right? Like, it's someone in that space who knows exactly what she's doing, coming yep. in and, and starting, we're like, this is something we're doing. It just validates the space you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Competitors so, are good. That's what I said. I was like, competition just increases our talent level, increases the way we, we do programming. And with incubator and stuff like that, it's also, uh, it becomes like a synergy, right? Where you can support a larger base of potential clients. Because there's more people providing resources, it's actually intrinsic effect where it is built upon each other, right? And yeah. you get more companies coming out of it. It's, it's more synergetic for everybody involved. Yeah, and I think, the other thing that people always say, and, and this is a personal belief, I don't want to say it's a York University belief or anything like that. Um, people are like, well, there's so many incubators, there's too many of us, you guys are all competing. It's not true, no. right? Like everyone, like when we look at a, a product lifecycle stage, there's ideation, validation, like there's all these different stages. Everyone has a purpose. You just got to figure out what you do really well and stick to it, right? And then that, everyone plays their role in an ecosystem. I think that's the one thing that I think People don't notice from an outsider perspective. It's kind of like you guys are all competing. It's like, no, no, no. we are very specific to what we do. Like right. we have us in, in Markham that's doing what we do. And then we have Venture Lab that's scale up. All right. And then we have small business centers that do the ideation. So like we know our place and we're like, okay, you need to go here. Like even Seneca Helix. So where do you fall? It. You fall in between scale up and um, startup? So we, I would say, yeah, exactly that. I think specifically what we do is we help with, we, when you're done, a little bit done the validation, you have some proof of concepts and some traction, that's where we come in. So you're about one to two months from a product launch, we have really good product, and you're like, I have a couple customers, but I, I don't know how to secure, secure and fulfill these customers and then launch and raise the first two rounds. That's when we typically come in and say, okay, we, this is how you're gonna finish off this customer, this is how you're gonna use the metrics to really get more customers. Here's the numbers we need for you to raise your first round of capital. That's usually where we come in. Um, and then a venture lab is more so you're over a million dollars in sales. Here's how we help. And then a small business center is like, I have an idea. What do I do? You go to them. They give yeah. you mentorship, business model, financial, um, all that type of stuff. So I think we have we're in a good space in in the region because everyone kind of knows their role and we know how to support one another. So we know, hey, if you're not the right fit for us, go to them, go to this place, right? So it it kind of helps when we ha when we have that kind of acknowledgement throughout the ecosystem. 
because we're not fighting anymore. We're not saying, oh my gosh, we're better than you. Or it's just, how do we help each other? And how do we help our community? How do we all grow together? Because the natural path should be, you start an ideation, you go to validation, traction, scale. So we're just, pu we're just pushing them along, every single one of us. So that's kind of the philosophy we want to go with. Um, and it's worked well for us, I think. That's amazing. Yeah. So you don't have to be a York University student to be a Y-Space. No, I think that's one of the biggest thing that people think. It's like, well, you're part of York University, you're funded, I have to be a York student. Um, no, I think on the contrary, we have 27 companies, like I said. I hate to say this, but 25 companies are not from York. Yeah. We have two student companies, and that's it. And even if they're a stu student company, one is on track to do about $750,000 this year. The other one does Easy. about $12,000 a month, right? So it's like, even if you're a student, we're looking at it as saying a business. We don't care if you're a student, not a student, we're like, is the business good and can we help you scale? So the 25 companies that we have really come from all over the place. Um, the interesting part, I think, it's even though we're located in Markham, is we're close enough to the highways. Um, we actually get a large majority of our companies from North York and downtown Toronto. Um, so when I first opened, I was like, why would people drive up here? I'll be honest, I make that drive every day. So it's like, yeah. it's not that bad. And I think now we're starting to see, like, as long as we have the right programming and the right culture in place, people are willing to come. And that's what we've kind of started testing out. Uh, we have, being in Markham, we have three Markham companies. Mm -hmm. Like, that's about it, right? So yep. it's kind of like, it's also like, just because we're, we, we start realizing where you're located doesn't matter. People are willing to come if it's the right place. Yeah. Um, I think that's been our main focus right now. Yeah, that's amazing. So, like, you're not, you're not just focused on the CPG brands. Like, food no. and beverage is new. Yeah, that's right? new. So how do you pre-qualify the companies you want to work with? So typically for us right now, um, a, company, a company will reach out to us, we'll send them to our application. Um, then we'll, it's an application form that goes through your business model, how much you're making, your turn, and all that type of stuff. Um, and then we do, we do three steps. So we do a phone call, a face interview, and then a pitch. The phone call is for us to do any deep dives into the business if we just are unclear. Um, sometimes we skip it if everything in the application is super clear, we really get it. Then we just go straight to the face-to-face. -face. And the face-to-face -face for us, it's not even to talk about the business. It's just to get to know the founders and the team. Um, one of the biggest things we always said is it's when we have a space, a physical location, anything like this, it's about the people in it. It's about the culture you build and how collaborative you are. So we meet everyone just to make sure that they're not jerks. They're not going to come in and disrupt and bring this negativity into the space. So we spend about 45 minutes with them just to get to know them, personal, personal life, um, business, everything about who they are as a team and the culture, and see how they interact with one another as well. Um, and then if we feel good about the team, we feel the synergies, we'll bring them back for a pitch with our mentors as well as our other kind of selection committee. Um, and then typically at that point, it's when we do a business dive. So it's like, is there value both ways? Do, do we see the value we can provide for you? Do we see what value you can get and how you can uplift this entire community? Um, then we'll bring them in and then it's two months of free membership and then they pay 350 per person per month afterwards. Awesome. So 350 per person per month. So you're mm -hmm. like a paid space, more like a co-working space with accelerator, sorry, uh, incubation. Yeah. So um, resources. we've gone asked for, hey, can we just rent a desk? We say no, like it's only for select companies. And I'll be honest, when we look at the 350, everyone's like, some people think it's, it's super cheap and some people think it's expensive. Yeah. Depends on who you ask. Um, but I think for us, it's like, at the end of the day, we have to operate somehow, right? Like we're fully funded by the university, which is great. But when you look at the landscape of what's happening in universities, funding cuts here, there, there, it's like, we have to figure out a way to sustain ourselves. So the way that we like to look at it is, 
we're lucky to be a part of a university, but we're a startup in ourselves, right? We have to figure out our sustainability model in the next three to five years, because if, lo and behold, something happens, the university comes back to us in, in two weeks and say, funding's cut, everything's gone, how do we sustain ourselves? We're probably gonna have to shut down, right? Yep. But at least this way, we can start looking at how do we build some revenue structure into our system, and it helps us scale up a little bit. So if we are consistently getting funding from the university, we can use that slush fund to grow something else provide additional support, hire additional support. Yeah. Um, I think that's a big thing, but I think 350, it's it's pretty subsidized. Like I look uh, at the work and stuff like yeah. that, it's like 700, $800. So for what we're offering, I think it's fair. Yeah. How's the government support been? Uh, I know there's a lot of funding cups provincially. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to the innovation center, are you, are you not part of the One Network, are you? We're, we're so the university is a part of, part of the One Network in the sense that there is, there is um, what we call a CLA campus and accelerator. So there are still some supports from them. Um, so OCE, Ontario Center. So of you're a CLA? Yeah, campus so, linked so that's, that's been fantastic and they're still supporting us and, and they give us different grants for kind of hiring students as well as different things. Um, I think for us more specifically, we primarily work with the Europe region. Um, and that's just because of where we are and we're probably one of two incubators in York region when you look at Toronto is about 50. Yep. So we have the luxury to be able to pick up the phones and call the municipalities, call the mayors and call the, call the different economic development offices and say, hey, we need support here. What does this look like? Um, they're super receptive. Um, they're, they've been probably one of the better government bodies to work with. Um, I know there's a whole notion that things are really slow and all this. I think um, what we found is in these smaller kind of, if you want to say smaller city and towns, um, once you find the right people, they're hungry. They have that same mentality. It's like an underdog mentality, which I think is what I like. It's throughout the region. You can see it. Everyone has this underdog mentality that everyone talks about Toronto and how great <laughs> Toronto is. But then they're kind of like, well, hey, we're here. We're like, why aren't you talking about us? So they have this mentality where they're like, we have to get out of that shadow and we're going to do anything we can. So the hustle and the grind, I think, yes, people see in Toronto because you see, you see just the sheer amount of people. You, you, you just assume. They're, everyone's hustling and bustling, but I think in, in the region in itself and the government bodies, we see it on day to day just by how much they're pushing out, how much content they're pushing, how much efforts they're doing. Um, like I've never seen a government body have their own marketing arm almost, mm -hmm. which it works with us. So they're called Yorklink and they are the economic development office for the region. They pull in all the corporates and stuff like that. But the amount of kind of traction they have online is, has been insane. So anytime we need something done, we just go to them and like, hey, can you help us promote this? And they'll help us promote it and we'll get thousands of hits. So that's been really great as well. Um, yeah. So we're lucky with that. So this is York region. Yeah. Right, so. It's massive. It's a massive area right, uh, right north of uh, Toronto. Yeah. And the thing with the York region is that, especially with Markham and uh, Richmond Hill area, it's, it's an old, it's a technology center. It used yeah. to be, it's, it, before Toronto was a startup capital, before the innovation capital, mm -hmm. um, I think it's like fourth or third in the world as like a as a region for innovation. Yeah. Um, York region was known as a high tech capital of Canada. It still is. It still is. Yeah. Right, and you have all these like more traditional high tech companies. Like yeah. AMG's there, IBM yeah. is there. Yeah. Right, and that really fostered a different kind of community. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of like what's a little different from, I guess Toronto versus York region is you see a lot of these companies form from ex-employees of these older technology yeah. companies. And they go in there, they learn problem sets that's happening in the industry, they come out yeah. and uh, they innovate. And then, but a lot of those times they exit by selling that innovation or that company yeah. back to those older firms or other firms. Yeah. And that becomes an innovation cycle within yeah. its own. 
um, and traditionally there's been hasn't been a lot of uh, bigger companies like more global brands that yeah. came out of the region or am I wrong here like has there been any big companies that come out of the region I think so I think there's there's a couple things I think um, you're right in a sense there has been as many but when there is the other challenge is I'll be honest as a region the comp whether it's the companies whether it's the municipality it doesn't matter we're just not very good at telling our story yeah like if the smallest thing happens in Toronto, you hear about it. Yep. Everyone hears about it, right? It's like, like there's companies that are, um, like there's a company in Vaughan called Daisy Intelligence. So last year at Elevate, um, they won the $1 million cash prize for the AI challenge, right? Amazing. And it's like, no one's talked about it. Yeah. And it's like, why? Yeah. We got this Vaughan company that's not in Toronto, but they're branding themselves as Toronto, who win this competition, who does supply chain logistics through AI, who are doing massive sales. No one's talking about being from Vaughan, from the region. So I think there, what a lot of times what, what we see is that even if they go internationally, they're saying Toronto's my home. Yeah. It's also just the global recognition of Toronto. Um, so I think that's just part of the challenge is that there's, whether we want to say it's pride or whatever it is, people are just not saying we're from this area. We're not proud to be from a Vaughan, from a Markham, we're from Toronto. So that that's kind of diluting all the, all the positive news that's coming out of there. I think the other piece is, in, I would say not only Toronto in Canada, that culture of building the cell and building to be this global giant just doesn't happen a lot. I think um, we're a lot just, less conservative in our growth. We are, and and it, and it stems all the way down to our investment dollars, to the government, like everything about us, like corporates, right? Like if you look, go to the U.S., yes, and I hate to keep comparing it, but it's just a different culture down there. You get this. We always hear these companies that say, oh, our government's pushing these small companies to help support these corporates. Then the corporates come back and say, you know what? We want to support you. We don't know how. There's too much infrastructure change we have to do and this and that. You hear a thousand excuses. In the States, it's kind of, if they like you, they're like, sign the check. Let's start tomorrow. Mm -hmm. There's not that layer of infrastructure. And I think, I don't know who to blame for that, to be honest. I think, I think it's a bit of everything. But that's also the culture that's in the States. In the States, it's these massive head headquarters are looking at companies saying, how do I buy you out now? How do I buy you out now? How do I buy you out now? And part of the time, it's it's acquisition of talent. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't exist here. Like it, here, it's people build to build a lifestyle company. That's yep. what I mainly find. It's it's people are not building the next unicorn, being like, I'm going to sell this or go IPO. People are building a lifestyle business. People want to say, I just want a nice business that I run on my own, and I can live the rest of my life and have a good income, right? It's, so that mentality is a little bit different. And the ones who are... To be honest, building that unicorn in Canada, most of them go to the States. Yep. Very few don't. Like a Shopify is one of them that like didn't. And you see how well they're doing, right? Like a wealth simple. Like you're starting to see it. And I think a part of it is those founders are people who either been in the States, saw the culture and bring it back, or they're starting here and they've always had that mindset. So we're starting to see more of it, but I think to your point, it'll take a couple more years. Yeah, Canada always had this bra uh, brain drain, right? Like yeah. if you're doing anything of north uh, of worth, you go to the south, right? Yeah. To to the states where there's like a the market is literally ten times the population, yeah. thousand times the market potential, yeah. and much more uh, dollars there, much more capital, like yeah. way more, like infinitely more than Canada, right? Almost exponentially more. Yeah. And but like we see the reverse of it now. For there's been it. a switch. Yeah. Right. Uh, it, it, it's maybe because uh, a lot of factors, right? So originally the excuse was in the dollar. We're we're like thirty cents discount for your American dollar. Yeah. Come here, you can you can get more uh, more bang for your buck, and that might have been the transition factor. But 
it's become the talent pool also. Mm -hmm. um, one of the most interesting things is, even though we're 10 times less the population of the states, per capita, we actually produce more innovators. And, that's, and a lot of that is because of our like, semi-socialist system, funny enough, yeah. right? we create more capitalists yeah. because people are more willing to take more risk. Um, so the stats are, I think like it's 26% more likely uh, to have a, a someone become an innovator in Canada, like because if they're like 28 and they have a new family, um, and they quit their job, they don't lose their health benefits, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have, we have you know paid healthcare, mm -hmm. right? We have universal healthcare. Um, just those factors have allowed people to take risk more easily. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, but because we the people who take those risks move to move to the states after to expand upon their potential, but. For now, for multiple reasons, those people are staying here, and like you said, a lot of people are coming back with yep. the knowledge they learned, with the connections they make into the, into the city, and you've seen the explosion of growth here yep. based off of that. A lot of co SF companies, San Francisco, um, from the Valley kind of companies are moving here for that reason, because we already had the talent pool, and the talent pool yep. is staying here now, right? The capital is more effective, and the community is just growing. When you look at AI, like everyone's like, AI is a hot topic. Like AI was born here. Yeah. Right? Like that's what everyone is not talking about. It's like AI is born here. You got the hub in Toronto, you got the hub in Montreal. It's probably two of the hottest hubs. So if you're any company, which pretty much is anybody in the world is mm -hmm. going to AI, you're coming to these two cities to attract the talents and pull. Yeah. So like to your point, that's exactly what it is. People are starting to see what Canada can produce. But I'll be honest as well, Canada's not very good at telling our story. I think um, we have a lot of great innovators, a lot of great people, but we aren't very good. Yeah. So I think it, it's, it's just whole shift of everyone's got to do a little bit better at being, I hate to say it, but it's just having a bit of a confidence, right? Like it's okay to have a little ego. It's okay to go and boast a little bit and be like, you know what, this is how great I am. Yeah, this is how great our country is. This is how great what we're doing is. You don't really see that. People are very like timid here, it feels like. So I'm naturally American. So I, I, I say this because I'm like, I'm born there, come here, and I'm like, people are, so, like, not everyone, but it just seems like a cultural thing. It's like, people shame you when you're like too proud, proud of what you're doing. Yeah. Whereas America is like, keep going, let's do it. It's, it's, so it's, it's like, that whole culture needs to shift a little bit and yeah. needs to change a little bit. Like, and I think we're gonna start seeing it as parents and everyone else get to understand what entrepreneurship means. Right? I think the funny story I usually, I usually always tell people I'm like going into entrepreneurship and goes back to like how I started this. So I went to Ryerson for entrepreneurship. First two, so I graduated, worked on my own company for two years, right? And then um, I went back to DMZ. So I kid you not, for the first four years of my career, yeah. my mom thought I was volunteering. <laughs> mom thought I didn't have a job. She thought I was broke. She thought, she's like, I don't know how you're gonna pay your loans. I don't know what you're gonna do. So was, this is when you're where? When I just graduated, okay. I had my own company where, where we were doing sales, we were licensing, and we built curriculum, and we were doing fine. And then I left that, went back to DMZ, so at Ryerson, and then worked there building programs. But because I was showing up to work in jeans, t-shirt, and sneakers, my mom's like, you don't have a job. Just, yeah. just tell me. Like, it's okay you don't have a job. I'm just, I still love you and all that. I'm like, no, 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 I have a job. She was like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, just tell me. And the entire family thought that because they're like, in their mindset, and, and uh, maybe it's an Asian Asian culture thing, they're like, if Definitely. you're not in a suit, <laughs> yeah. if you're not in a suit, if you're not in a dress shirt, uh, you're not working. Yeah. Right? You're not really working. So she thought I was volunteering. And then I went from that going to York, and she's like, oh, now he finally got a job. He's switching. He's not actually at school, so like it's not a volunteer thing anymore. I still show up in jeans and a t-shirt. And she was like, what's going on? I thought you got a job at a university. I was like, 
I did, mm -hmm. but this is what I do, right? And it's the culture we have is everyone shows up in jeans and t-shirts and it's just a very different culture. And I think people don't understand that, at least the generation before us, some do and it's great. When your parents understand it, it's great. When you can explain it, the other challenge was it was trying to explain that in Chinese. I had no idea what how to say it. Like, I, I'll, I'll be honest. It's like, I think last year a show came out on TVB, which is like a Chinese channel. And it was like, this is like entrepreneurship and innovation yeah. and startups. I was like, mom, watch that show. Yeah. It's like, why? I was like, because that guy, that's what I do. Just watch that show. <laughs> now you'll know why I was in t-shirts and jeans for the past four years. Yeah. Um, did it work? It did. Yeah. And she started telling all the families. So the entire family watched it now. And now everyone gets what I do, which nice. is like fantastic, right? And then the challenge now is, my fiance, she's Vietnamese. So her family's asking what I do. I was like, damn, I need to find the show yeah. in Vietnamese. Like I need to find the same show in Vietnamese yeah, and get yeah. them to watch it. Yeah. Um, but I think that's gonna start shifting because the next culture, the next generation, sorry, we all get it now. We all understand what it is. So when our kids tell us that we, we wanna go into entrepreneurship, we're really like, this is how you're gonna do it. This is how you're gonna get set up. Whereas when I was starting my company, I didn't have no idea what I was doing. It was yeah. trial and error. Like I was lucky because we had an angel investor in the beginning that said, I love the idea, I love the concept, I like what you do, here's a pop pot of money so we got lucky but i don't think everyone's that lucky um because the other challenge that i don't think people talk enough about is in entrepreneurship is just about like your, your personal financial state um i hate to say it and maybe this is going to draw a lot of negativity or whatever but a lot of people say like if you're starting a company it's because you have a little cushion in the background yeah right like you don't have to support your family you're okay like your family's good and that was one thing that I think is potentially true, yeah. right? Like a lot of people who start their companies don't have to worry about, okay, am I gonna help my mom pay her mortgage? Am I gonna have to have these bills in the back of my mind? Cause you're not working like three, four part-time jobs to help make up the bills at home. Um, so for me, for me, even like when I was starting, that entrepreneurship wasn't really an option because of that side. But when I got money from someone, I'm like, now nah, I can do it. Absolutely. But not many people get that opportunity. I think when you hear about Trump's and all these people, it's. I think Trump got what, like a million dollars to start his company or something. Yeah. And it's like, that'd be nice. Yeah. Right. So I think that's the other side that people don't talk about enough. It's, it's, it's hard to start a company because of everything you have going on personally. Absolutely. So every time I talk to someone who's looking to start, I'm like, look at your, your personal life and then figure it out. Talk to your family first. I mean, you, it's great you mentioned that because you're absolutely right. Like, I feel like you have to have enough struggle in life in yeah. some aspect, like yeah. either by wanting, like you want to do yeah. something great and you you're not satisfied with your are yeah. that drives you to do do all these crazy things yeah. but like you also have to have that cushion yeah. where you get comfortable taking a risk and yeah. a lot of people don't have that cushion no and it's interesting cuz like like innovation is so important to the economy yeah it's so important to, like, i think the way the future of work yeah um, where i don't think people can have normal jobs anymore because machines are eating up like just static like uh, the day-to-day -day processes mm -hmm. of things but people can invent new things, right? Mm -hmm. New products, new services, new ways of doing things, new processes. That's that's the innovation economy right there. Um, to know, like, everybody benefits from that. Yeah. It becomes a numbers game. You want more people providing more yeah. solutions for the economy. And it's one of the reasons why like UBI, I think, is so interesting, right? Like universal mm. basic income. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any kind of way that we can give some kind of standardized payment to everybody. Yeah. And if you look at a lot of like these private companies, they're interested in this because they get it. Because mm -hmm. they're like, okay, yeah, like the, the what computing is like eating up the world, right? And as that happens and opportunities get less, people need something to give that kind of cushion yeah. where they can take that experimental risk yeah. of changing their career paths, yeah. of trying to chase the problems that they want to go after. And it actually benefits everybody yeah. if more people are trying to build these things. Yeah, I, th I think to, to your point, we're starting to see 
corporates take that on as a challenge too. Yep. Uh, so TD, for example, like they did this, they, they did this community fund where it's called the upskilling grant, yep. where they gave organizations who are upskilling people to be ready for the new wave of work, a million dollars to create a 10 year program. Yeah. And that's great to see because to your point, as technology takes over, there's gonna be new wave of jobs that are coming out and you do need to upskill people, right? A lot of people are used to hands-on, very simple in and out type of work, but it's not gonna be everyone. So I think that that's gonna be the biggest thing. And I think the other thing that we're starting to see more in entrepreneurship, sorry, just to go back a little bit as well, it's um, one thing I do wanna say for sure, it's, it's we need to stop telling students to become entrepreneurs. I work in a university, mm -hmm. I love my university, I love Ryerson, my alma mater, but we need to stop telling students to become entrepreneurs because of exactly that reason that there's the cushion and everything else and all the mental state in your family. But the, if we look at it, the real successful entrepreneurs really most of the times are the ones who's worked in the workforce a little bit, who saved up a little bit. They've planned this out a little bit more and they just go so much faster. Um, like I don't know, like not many 20, 21 year olds will graduate knowing exactly what they're gonna to wanna to do. Some do, right? Like if, if you're, if you're for, for example, in research and you come across this great technology and you can license, sell it, great. Cause that's a different scenario. Mm -hmm. But if you're someone who's just trying to start brand new, work a little bit, yeah. figure out what you like to do. Um, but to go back in terms of the, the corporate side of things, I think what we're starting to see a lot is corporates coming back out and being like, how can we support this change? and the government's doing it too. So I think it's great to see the recognition of people um, going back and supporting that side of things because it is a concern for a lot of people and maybe not for us who can adapt, who can learn on the fly and really figure things out. But for some of the older generations who are really close to retirement maybe, it's like, how do they get that gap? How do they fill it a little bit more? And I think that that's one of the things that, that is gonna be worrying for some people. Um, and then new immigrants as well. I think now new immigrants, it's gonna be harder and harder for them to find jobs. And then people say, well, you got the McDonald's, you got the Tim Hortons, they're being replaced. Yeah, right? It's the like, kiosk. you look at the kiosk and like we have a company that literally does that for the kiosk. And I'm like, we're supporting that. So they got to figure out. So it's like, everything's going to get to the point where it's just going to get, the skill level is going to be higher and higher for what we need. So I think there needs to be a little bit more of a reflection of that during some of, some of the training. Like there's language training right now, which is great for, for new immigrants, right? But maybe it's time to think about like the basics of Excel, like things like that that are very tangible that they can at least maybe get an office job, an administration job that they can do. And maybe it, those will become the new kind of base level jobs almost, but that's okay. And I mean, with English, maybe they can go out and go into like sales and stuff, but like yep. that's hard when you're competing with everyone else who's like grew up in this country and looking to do sales as well. So I think there's gonna be, we're gonna see more shift and we're gonna see more dollars flowing in. I can't imagine stopping the dollars from flowing because it's it's the feedback for what they're doing is great. Um, we work with Seneca and Seneca is a part of the upskilling program. So I think they were telling us they do these virtual trainings. I think in their first session, they got like 250 people. And we're like, that's insane. Like 250 on a session that no one even knew you would even maybe even get 10. Like yeah. we, we all were like maybe 10, maybe 20. And he's like, nope, the numbers are 250 viewed for the whole duration of three hours. And we're like, that is pretty wild. And these courses are based on innovation? Uh, no, it's just based on like how to upskill your skills. Like how, nice. do you, how do you get more skills for certain things? So basic functionality of Excel, PowerPoint, um, how do you do data entry and analyzing like maybe uh, VLOOKUPs and stuff. So it's like very basic skills for you and I, if we went to school, right? It's like very basic or things that we can look and learn. But for some of them, they're like, we don't even know where to start. And it's intimidating. So 
that was really interesting to see kind of the, the feedback that they're getting. Um, so I can only imagine there's going to be more companies like the TDs and the government's coming out saying, here's some funds, yeah. upskill your employees, upskill yeah. the community. Um, that's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, I think that's one of the interesting things. Like we're pretty much in the midst, the midst of like the fourth industrial revolution. Whereas before it was like steam and engines and, and uh, industrialization. Now it's about uh, like computer power, computation. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think one of the interesting trends is like, I think like Citibank, just 30, 40 years ago, was hiring like almost 80,000, 100,000 people across the world um, to run his investment portfolios, right? Do the research yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Now, it, all that, their investment portfolio pretty much goes down to the hands of four people because they have all the computing power required yeah. to automate the process. Accountants 20, 30 years ago were like pretty much number crunchers, just moving yeah. Excel columns manually from one place to another. Um, so, and it goes up the chain to the financer who now has these Excel sheets that have been formatted properly for them to actually do functionality. Now, this computing, computing is allowed to do it automatically, right? So the skill sets have 100% changed, um, where it's not knowing about those hard skills, those IQ points, where you can compute yourself, but no, how to interface with the computer better to augment your own skills. Mm-hmm. How do you use the computation skills that the, that the software provides to better um, make yourself I guess, as a more, more formidable, right, in the market yeah. space. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. There's not a lot of training for that. No, I think it's, it's that, and it's, it's still, like, not everyone loves interfacing with computers. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, that's the other challenge. Like, we, we do it assuming that everyone's going to love it. Everyone's yeah. going to be fine. I think, um, I think the thing that people are not thinking about is those professions, and I think, a lot of people are like, well, teachers and stuff like that, they, there's overabundance. That is true, but there's other professions that require empathy. And I think those are the professions that are yeah. never going to change. No matter what you do, a robot will never replace the empathy of a human. Yep. To be able to connect, have conversations. And I think those are the one things that I think maybe it's, it's time to take a deeper look in how do we create more of those, right? Yep. Like People talk about, about all these different things that robots can do, but I don't know. I just feel like there's going to be... Even with that, we're gonna see negatives out of it, and we're yep. gonna, and someone's gonna have to come in and figure out, like, okay, well, we can create a whole new job segment out of this. So that's the other side, I think. And and the other thing that people are not talking about, it's it's when you think about computing, computation and stuff, is is esports and gaming. Yeah, it's like that market is just insane yeah. right now. So I think what we're gonna start seeing is more skills in that than anything else, and I think internationally especially i think we're going to see a lot more i think if people are going to be coming over whatever it is like the fact that fortnite had three million dollar tournament i found that insane and and it also kind of makes me think i'm like and i think the second place winner i think um i was reading the article and it was like second place winner said his mom had thrown his computer so he had to go get a new one i'm like can you imagine if that kid just quit yeah he won like one point something million like imagine if that kid just quit so it's, it's, we just don't know what's going to happen and what's going to boom. And I think that's going to be an exciting thing about the next five to 10 years. Like what are the industries are going to, what people are doing. Now the scary thing is with all these scholarships for gaming and stuff, I say scary, but probably exciting for a lot of people. It's like, uh, I'm just thinking like in the future when I have kids, I'm like, I can't tell them not to play video games anymore. You really can't. You gotta be like, maybe you have a career. Maybe you're amazing. I will never know, but you gotta play. Yeah. So I think. That's gonna be the interesting. It's like we. It almost makes me think like 
what my parents entrepreneurship was stupid, I'm going to be like, I thought gaming would have been right. But now mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't say that. And who knows what's the next thing? There's always going to be these little things that pop up that we're all going to be like, we're going to question, and we're going to doubt, but you just don't know what's going to actually turn into a viable career in today's day and age where technology is everything. Um, so that I think will be really interesting. Um, yeah, I think for me, it's time to play more video games probably. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's a different way of interacting with people and providing, producing yeah. content, right? Like streaming online yeah. like is, is communicating to a wider audience in a different format. Yeah. Like people are not, not just watching shows anymore. They're watching other players play a game. Yeah. They're not even, right? That, that, and, it's still, and it's still a growing trend. Oh, absolutely. It's just the beginning. And like, I think Patriot Act with Hassan Manaj had an episode on, on the esports, yeah. right? E-gaming, right? And, and, and um, he had this chart. That showed how big of a market is. Oh I mean, yeah, it's way bigger than the NFL, NHL, NBA, all put together combined. Yeah, and like that puts into perspective how much money is being channeled here. Perfect. Slight technical difficulties. Got to change okay. a battery. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah, back to that conversation. Like yeah, like a lot of things are happening definitely yeah. in the space. Um, back to like the region, right? Yeah. This is something that really gets to me. So, whoops. Yeah. So, when it comes to like Toronto being, yeah, like AI capital and stuff, I found like a lot of the AI companies are in, mostly in the West End, right? Um, is that true? False? Um. I'll be honest, I think they're everywhere. Yeah, um, a little sporadically. Well, the other thing is Toronto real estate is just getting so insane. It's like for you to rent an office, it's nearly impossible, right? Like the rent is getting so ex- insane that I think people are moving towards the outskirts. But I think as, as a university and as innovation hubs, that's where the opportunities are going to come. There's really no innovation centers in the suburban areas, right? And no one's perfected what that model looks like. Yep. You can't tell me a downtown Toronto is going to work in the suburban area because your foot traffic's not the same. It, the, the acquisition to, of talent and access is not the same. Um, like one of our biggest struggle is access to talent. Like I joke with people, but it's not a joke. Like yeah. our founders drive every day 9:30 for pickup of the, his co-ops and drop them off at 4:30 at bus stations. That's because he has to. Right? Yeah. The transit is not the best. In Toronto, it doesn't matter. They come in and go whenever they want. So the, everyone's going to have the, these little unique challenges. I think. That's going to be the biggest thing, but I think these companies are popping on the outskirts, and the reason why we're starting to get know more about them is because people are starting to become more adaptive, like saying, let's just tell people what we do. Um, so I think whether it's more on the west end, the east end, it doesn't really surprise me, to be honest with you. Um, I'll be honest, there's probably some all the way up in Georgina that we don't even know about. Yeah. Like, it's just about finding them out at this point. I know Barry um, is doubling down at the city on innovation. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, like Durham. Like, I think Durham actually has an AI hub now. Yeah. Right? I'm like, Durham, like, what? So. I also, we're also hearing that um, was the GM plant in Durham that closed down. Yeah. They converted into a facility to help, uh, like, um, with innovation, especially yeah. in automotive space, too. It doesn't surprise me because Oshawa, so at. Um, EOIT, they have this testing climatic testing facility, right? It's yes. like the one of the only ones in, in, in Canada. I think it's the only one in Canada and one of the three in the world, like to be able to test any climate for vehicles, right? And it's like, why aren't we talking about that? Like, yeah. it's something we need to be sharing more. So. They also have this industrial 3D printing facility. 
mm. right? You can 3D print an entire car, like from like it's metal printed. Yeah. Anything, everything but the engine can be pretty much printed out. Yeah. So you can rapid prototype almost any kind of engineering facility, yeah. and it's completely accessible. Accessible yeah. for like startups or anyone who's interested in working with, working with that facility. You've got to log in a time and work with them. There's there's so many things I think we're still getting to know. Yeah. Um, that, but the, that's, I think, the power of, of the network and the community. It's like people like yourselves who are willing to share that and tell people that. It's like, that's something I didn't know, right? So it's like, now I can go back to a startup who's, who needs that and be like, hey, go go talk to, um, and go do this. So it's like, how do we do all these things together as a group and a, as a collective? And I think that's what's going to matter. Like, yeah, because we're still so fragmented. Oh, my God. I mean, look at if you look at York region, it doesn't even show you. There's nine different towns and cities in there. Yeah. It's not that it's big. A huge, yeah. I don't know why there's nine. Yeah, I always look at it. I'm like, I feel like I'm driving. And it's like the split between Aurora and Newmarket just baffles me. Like, I don't get it. It's literally like a young line split. I'm yeah. like, what was the point of that? Yeah. Like, so I'm not in politics. I'm not. I'm not gonna try to be. But it's like there's these like. It's almost like we don't need this many mayors and like just hate to say it, but put yeah. something together, make it a little bit bigger. But then we have more resources. Mm -hmm. We're a bigger community now. Um, I think so it'll be interesting if the GTA region becomes like an actual one true hypercity, right? Yeah, Just, that would be really interesting, right? Yeah. It's, it's things like that, things that are out of our control, but you you, you kind of want to see what that would look like. Yeah. Um, you want to see what that would look like, really, and I think we don't, we haven't seen it, like, you kind of know, in, in the States, you know each city has its own little flavor. I still think, even though Toronto is like such a high tourism city, Yeah. I still think it's trying to figure out what that what that flavor is, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like there's nothing about Toronto that's, that's like, this is it. Like, this is what they're amazing at. I feel like we're great at so many things, but I'm still waiting to see, like, what's that going to be one thing that they're going to be just kick butt and everything in? Yeah. And maybe it'll be sports with everything that's been happening, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Toronto's blowing up right now for, like, um, what's it, film? Uh, yeah, right? film's huge. Uh, startups, um, entertainment, right? Yeah. There's a, was it about two, three film production uh, centers coming up? Yeah, right? there's actually one in Markham. Yeah. It's like a first, I think it's called First Markham Studio, and it's it's massive. It's like, they're calling it like Hollywood of the North. Like, it's one, of, it's going to be beautiful. Um, but it's like, I think what I'm curious to see in the next couple of years is going to be how everyone's going to adopt to that yeah. with everything else that's changing. Um, I think technology is going to be one piece of it. Yeah, and like Markham is doubling down on the what is it, thousand acre property, was it? Uh, yeah, uh, innovation center, like innovation soccer fields. I think that's the yeah. terminology he used. Yeah, six hundred soccer fields. Yeah, in area, all for innovation. Yeah, how does that look like, and what does that mean? What area is it again? <sighs> you got to ask the mayor. <laughs> um, I think it's Elgin Mills and Warden. I want to say. I think I think it might be Elgin Mills. Yeah, I think it's Elgin Mills and Warden. So it's like right there. Uh, if you go closer to the highway, because what they said it was right off the highway, um, and the whole vision. I, like yeah, I think it, I, I think it's that lot of land. Um, what they essentially want to do is bringing a big corporate, like similar to like an IBM. Oh yeah, it's definitely one of those empty lands. Yeah. Um, they want to bring in like an IBM an or, anchor or like, tenant. Yeah, an anchor yeah. tenant and build around it. I think. What they're trying to do is build something to what um, 
not like a downtown Markham has built. I think that's what they want. Like an area where it's kind of like its own little satellite. I think the other piece of it is looking at the way that Google and Apple has built it out in like um, San Francisco. And it's like, how do they copy some of that stuff? Yeah. So I think that's what they want to do. Um, I'll be honest, the mayor has some crazy ideas. And if anyone can do it, it's him. Yep. Like I, I, he's probably one of the most supportive people I know. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great to have someone like that in our backyard just to be able to support some of the things we do. Like some of the things that we we think is crazy, he kind of comes up to it and said, "Just do it." Like, yeah. why is it crazy? It's only crazy if you think it's crazy. If you make it happen, it's not right. So he's such a strong believer that I'll be honest, whatever he he has in his head, I'm sure it's insane. I'm sure his staff says it's insane, but if anyone can do it, he can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I'm interested in because like all the different zones where things are happening. Like, yeah. like you said, like Durham region has a lot of manufacturing technologies going on. Yeah. Um, even like Coburg and like Western, Northern uh, Ontario, mm-hmm. right? Like it has um, what's it, N100, $100,000 pitch competition. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, happens yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, bi-annually, I mean, so every two years. Yeah. Um, where they give four companies 100,000, one gets 250,000. Yeah, it's something insane. That's right? crazy. Even Sudbury, has like an innovation center oh, yeah? now. Yeah, Sudbury has innovation zone there, manufacturing technologies they focus on. See, but there's these little pockets that we just don't know. Yeah, so these pockets are like popping up. Um, but like five years ago, we started talking about the, the high tech corridor, mm-hmm. right, between Kitchener and Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Where the idea was to build like, give incentives for companies uh, to come and build headquarters from Kitchener to Toronto to literally drive traffic. And just yeah. like Silicon Valley, where it's like a valley connecting yeah. a whole bunch of cities, where all these high-tech companies come and flourish, up, flourish that promote and build a startup ecosystem around the self. We're trying to do that here, too. And it was a, it was a com- combination of like private and public partnerships trying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But still, we see a lot of pockets. Right? There's still yeah. not a lot of qual- collaboration. So even with Kitchener and Toronto being, trying to be forced together and be pulled, right? York region is different. Durham is doing his own thing, right? Um, well, I'm I think thinking food, like even like looking at that. So Guelph has a massive food food play, and yeah. Barry does. How do we make a little triangle there? Like look at I've never thought about it until I looked on the map. I'm yeah. Like, I think, and then I mean, of course, when you go to Niagara, there's just wine. Yeah. Wine Central and Prince Edward County. Um, I think between Kitchener and Toronto, the the thing that's nice about it now is they're actually expanding it out. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really nice part. It's like they're they're including Montreal in a conversation there, with, especially with the hype loop and every all the hype around that. Yep. Um, and then Ottawa is being looped in the conversation. So I think they're starting to get it. I think the challenge with just being Kitchener and Toronto is that yes, it's two very strong anchor points, but it's not enough. It does, yep. It's not a good representation of the whole ecosystem. And I think that's what they're starting to understand. So there was an analyst um, of these two. Um, he made this, made this thing about like how, how the world is pretty much there's only 14, uh, I think, 14 global regions okay. where there's innovations happening large, where like most of the productivity is coming out of these regions. Okay. And in the next 50 to 80 years, it's going to shape the dynamics of the world. And in Asia, you see companies, uh, sorry, c- countries and regions working together to, to foster this connection. Yeah. Whereas North America, it's been like a, uh, stagnant kind of forces yeah. preventing the integration of these. Yeah. But one of the main um, regions, hyper regions, is everything from Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, London, Detroit to Chicago. Like if you look at this region, right? Oh, there's really so much happening here, Yeah. right? Um, especially in like this region around here, oh, yeah. connecting all this. 
um, from healthcare technologies you know, to go New York, right? As you go, you agencies go down New York. Yeah, it's it's. I, I I think I agree with you. I mean, the thing that we've seen is like I think China almost has this like I don't care attitude, right? Like they do whatever they want, and yeah. the rest of the world can 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 take a look at it. I think they go after the hundred year plans. Okay, oh, how's yeah, it going to look like, hundred years from now? Okay, we'll invest in that. It's even like I went to. Like, I think it's even just Asia, because I went to Vietnam last year, and Vietnam, you think it's a third world country and all this type of stuff, which it could be. Like, there's certain pockets that definitely is, but we went to this one city named Da Nang, and I kid you not, I thought I landed in Miami. Like, it was just insane. Like, the technology infrastructure they have there, the, the incubators they have there, like, they have almost had one at, like, every other street corner. Right. And some of the companies that were coming out that, that you talked about, and, and I was on vacation, but I'm naturally curious enough to go visit. And I'm talking to these guys, I'm like, this doesn't, like, everything they've built in the city, that's literally the one place where I didn't even feel like I was in Vietnam. Yeah. Like, everyone spoke English. It was so multicultural. So I think we're going to see more in that in these, what we think are third world developing countries, that it's going to be little pockets. But I think they've also been very smart in, in knowing what they do really well. So, like, the Philippines and Vietnam has really become a developer's hub. They have all these developers that can do, lay, like, do the same work for half the labor, and a lot, I won't lie, a lot of our companies are doing it. They're gonna, they send a team over there. Like I think one of our companies has his CTO. He's been there for six months. Mm. And I'm like, what's it like? He's like, yeah. well, I have a team of five. I pay for, I live like a king. And it probably is costing me about two months of what it would cost me here. I'm like, you can't beat that. So I think this regional infrastructure is gonna ha have some international plays into it. And it's about where people wanna go. Um, it's definitely an interesting time as well with everything that's happening between the states and China. That's gonna be an interesting play as well because then as you kind of say, going to like the Detroit, the Chicago, the New York, that whole play of how US and China are gonna lay out, I think makes Canada a very good position. Mm -hmm. like it's, it's, we're gonna be the one that everyone goes to instead of the US now. Everyone's gonna wanna come and do research development. Like a company like Huawei, which is known for their R&D, I'm sure all their R&D that's in the states is being pushed up here now. Yep. So it's like, how do we capitalize on some of those things that are happening politically and looking at that um, as an infrastructure play for us to build something more? Um, there's going to be a lot more. I think I think Canada's positioned in a very good way. I think Toronto specifically yep. is positioned in a very good way. I think the only challenge is that Toronto just needs more space. Like yep. They need to find more space. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they got to find something. Yeah, absolutely. I think space is definitely an issue. And it's funny when you talk about the global reach of like Canadian brands. So yeah. out in PEI, um, Startup Zone, run by Patrick mm. Farrar. Um, Startup Zone, I was talking to them earlier this year, they have 77 startups working there out of that zone. And just, I think this month, yeah. they've expanded into, into another city. They've opened up a second location. Wow. Right, it's government funded. Yeah. Like, um, accelerator, accelerator or incubator, or a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. But 77 tech companies are coming out of there, but like, they're focused on rural tech, which is interesting. Huh. So literally one of the companies that are out of it is like um, smart lab lobster traps. Right, oh. so like IoT kind of enabled tra yeah. lobster traps will give feedback if it's against like a lobster yeah. or not. Not really sure how it works. But the interesting thing was like, they were looking into, okay, how do we get support from more of the, from like the traditional innovation zone, like how to connect Toronto, Montreal, yeah. Ottawa, PEI. But what he realized is that it's more interesting to connect Asia because oh, Asia is yeah. focusing, the market for rural technology is much yeah. broader there because they're focused on the same kind of things. Yeah. So rather than focus on Toronto companies, they're actually making partnerships with like incubators in India and all across South, uh, South, um, South Asia that are focusing on similar kind of problem sets oh, yeah. and interfacing together. 
and utilizing um, the market need there yeah. versus the infrastructure here for innovation together, yep. right? And that's interesting how it's all interconnecting and coming together. Yeah, uh, I think what we've seen a lot of is there's so many, like, I think some of the be best companies in Toronto don't sell in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And that, that's for a multitude of reasons, right? Like, like you said, and I think people make the notion that, oh, we have to go to Toronto, or we have to be in Toronto to be successful. You don't. Yeah. You don't. There's a whole world out there. Figure out what works for you. I think, like, we look at Wattpad and what Wattpad's doing. I'm like, realistically, I think their number one clientele is in Malaysia. Like, who would have thought? Yeah. Right? And it's like, these, these companies are, are that type. I think Asia is probably just, if you think of population-wise, Asia is massive. Massive. And I think if once, but it's a monster on its own as well. I think I think what we usually tell companies is be careful when you go, but if you can make it, you make it, right? It's one of those. And I think um, we're lucky in that Canada has trade commissioners that can actually walk you through what the ecosystem and the culture looks like. So whenever we have companies going over, we say connect with this um, trade commissioner and they're gonna walk you through what it actually is gonna look like there. Because the other thing that people don't talk about is some of the investments dollar when you go investment overseas, it, it can get tricky, right? There's different deals, different structures, especially when you're in someone else else's like kind of like working culture, you don't really understand it. Um, there's a lot of things you'd be very careful of and we've seen certain things gone wrong. Um, like in Markham, we're building up this trust because if you look up, there was an investment scams and it exists. Like I think there was a massive one in Markham. So Jeez. in our first year, it took us a while just to reconnect to the community and say, no, 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 we're not a scam. We're part of university. If we get you dollars, it's real dollars. Because it's, it's someone came in, I think it was some, somewhere in the millions that they scammed Jeez. some companies. And it's kind of like when that happens in a small community, and Markham's not small, not that small, but it's still small. Yeah. It makes everyone aware and everyone just doesn't so trust So what was the scam that happened? I don't remember exactly, but it was, it, was a, it, was def it was a company who was investing. I think they were real estate, and I think they were claiming they have X dollars and all this. So... So the companies were doing due diligence, but because it was, I think it was like five to eight years ago. So back then, I mean, like, yeah, there's nothing, Markham, no real infrastructure. Well, well it's yeah. also like Toronto's gonna understand how to do due diligence. Like companies know. Sometimes in that, it's the companies who aren't coaches say, "Well, money, great. I yeah. mean, if I don't involve my lawyers, maybe I'll save this fee. Maybe I'll save this fee." They try to shortcut it, and then that's what happens, right? You don't do your due diligence. You don't really learn learn what's out there, and then. You get scammed, so it's it's not the greatest thing to hear, and we're starting, we're still seeing some of that. I right. think we've hear some horror stories in the area, and that's where we have to do our due diligence. And I think that's why sometimes, for me, if I meet companies who are in perfect fit for our space, I'm like, let's keep in touch, because yeah. there's things that we can support with that you don't have to be physically tied to us, where we want to support. Because at the end of the day, our goal is just to help people. I think that's the biggest thing after all. Definitely. Um, but it's it's one of those where I think people just need to be cautious where they're getting their dollars from. Yeah, Scott Galloway from Elsco Inc. Uh, made this analysis, right, where he's like, there's more companies starting up now than ever, yeah. but the actual cost of, of starting a company has, is the highest. It's, yeah. Right, so it's actually the cost of initiation, cost of uh, the, the risk factors involved, yeah. right, the capital required, the resources required, yeah. all that is actually higher than it's ever been. Yeah. But the need for new companies to develop is also yeah. the highest. So it's... It, it's um, lose kind of scenario where it's like, yeah, we need these companies to develop and solve these kind of problem sets, lay down the foundation for the future of work looks like, but the resourcing required is so immense, mm -hmm. right? So I guess it's, it it's really comes down to more institutions like Whitespace and um, the hub here, UTSE, mm -hmm. right? Providing these kind of environments to what, not just learn, but uh, as a stepping stone. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the next stage is how to network them all together. Yeah. Right. And if it's not a uh, the government is gonna, you know, the public that's gonna <laughs> do that, then uh, it has to be some kind of entity that does that. Yeah. Or a or a collection, the yeah. com- a community, a collective that comes together to do that. Right. Yeah. It's it's gonna be because there's just too much fluctuation in, in government. Like you were changing every four years, every couple of years, and then who knows what's gonna happen. Um, but I think the with with what you're you're saying as well, it's part of the other thing. It's it's the cost is because of everything else you have to go around it. So for students, even though I say students shouldn't start a company, they should explore, right? It's the best time. You're getting them all the support you can in the world. You're getting so much resources. And I think it's about educating people on, on that front of things. Yep. Um, and then just being scrappy with it. Like um, there's some entrepreneurs who start and they're just super scrappy and they know exactly how to get the most out of the littlest things. Yep. Um, and I wish those people would share their stories. Right? They, 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 they don't because they're like, well, I don't know if I want to share it publicly and stuff, but I think they need to. Because I think some of the ways that we've heard about how companies were able to start out the scrappiness and the resourcefulness were like, that's so useful. We need to tell everyone that because everyone can use it. Yeah. Um, but that's the other thing um, as well. The biggest thing is I think is that the public libraries mm. are becoming incubators. Yeah. Right? Like there's so much creative spaces, so much lessons, uh, so much... Uh, not just space, but also yep. uh, resources coming in. Yep. And I think that's brilliant, right? Using these facilities now, where people don't really need to like read books as much, mm-hmm. but those spaces are still important for yeah. the service in the community. And yeah. now helping them in this kind of aspect, right? how to start businesses or uh, organizations or you know, solve problems and how to monetize mm-hmm. on the solutions you make is such an essential, yeah. essential tool set. I think libraries are, are, are going to change a lot more. Yeah. Um, we've seen like, the 3D printers and all the makerspace stuff come in. We see them rent out video games and stuff like that. But I think, you're, to your point, they're building these business centers, but it's like all these librarians who are so used to a certain way of being a librarian, that's going to have to shift. That's going to have to change with everything else that's going on. And it's like, can we just get them to better support the community? And then I think, to your point as well, that's going to create some duplication in the ecosystem. I'd love to see how they can just work together. Yeah. I think every time we see something pop up that's threatening, people go, okay, we have to destroy it. It's like, no, 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 let's just sit down. Let's figure out how we work together. Like, stop going with this. How do we destroy them? How are we better than them? Let's just work together because I think there's there's just, there's not, in, there's more startups than anyone can imagine, right? Like, to your point, everyone, it's this whole new sexy thing where there's always going to be new startups popping up all the damn time. We There's not, there's always more than enough for any one of us. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So let's wrap up with this lasting yep. conversation. Um, how do you see everything kind of coming together? How do you see all these different institutions and um, incubators and the library? How uh, do you see them working together at all? And how did that how did that look like to you? I'll be honest. I don't know how to, how they're going to come together. I mean, I, I think it, it's a dream to see them all work together. I think every I think from an institutional standpoint, I think everyone has a very good role to play because I think. Institutions come in; they become an anchor for the community. Yeah. Um, so, so UTSC being the anchor for Markham, I mean, sorry for Scarborough, yeah. right? And then York is going to be an anchor for Markham, and then all the way out west as well. So, so that's going to be. I think it's going to be more than just about an institution coming in and, and building innovation. But it's like, how do you build innovation in your own community? Because every community has a different spin. Like, I'd be curious to talk to someone at the hub and be like, okay, hey, look, what are you hearing from your community? Because we we heard in Markham was food. Right, but I don't know what's going on here. But Markham is also known as semiconductor industry, so it's like we didn't really hear that. So there's probably enough going on there that we don't need to support it. So I think it's gonna be 
looking at the libraries and looking at the different folks and say, okay, how do you tackle your local issues and how do you address that? And then when you're working together, I think here's the opening, the willingness to have conversation. I think most people are like, well, is it really worth my time? Is it this? You just never know. I think it's about building relationships and building the, the, the ecosystem together. I think libraries have had their roles for years. I think they're going through a transition. They're trying to figure it out. As an institution, as incubators, I think we, we do have a role to play in that to figure it out because what we always think about is what's our pipeline look like, right? Like if we graduate companies, where are we getting our companies from? The library, the small business center. So if we work with them closer, we have a healthier pipeline. So I think that's my message to the incubators to why they need to work downstream because Absolutely. you can't really say, well, the other thing is also, sure, some incubators will be like, yeah, I'm constantly getting companies. How good are they? Right, like we're getting companies too, but how good are they? Yeah. Right, like and, and it's people glorify certain incubators rejection numbers. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to say only accept X percent. It should be there's this many great. We just don't have space, right? Because when you're rejecting that many, it's like okay, are they just really bad or what's going on? And how do we stop some of that? How do we kind of uplift the entire ecosystem and say maybe let's create less really bad companies that we just won't take on, but create more really good ones that we can support, the rest of the community can support. Um, and sometimes it just starts at the local level with the libraries yeah. and the small business centers. I think it comes down to the fact that we can't really track companies' progress from the ground up, right? How it does is this incubator, but yeah. where, do, where do they go? Like there's no real track, tracking metrics for how they yeah. progress. You're right, and, and, and that's the story of it, right? Like when we track someone who's going through all these things, that's a story that we should be telling people. How a company is able to use these different resources to scale up and grow, how these companies are using our resources to help them really leverage it, and what does that mean for the community? I don't think we're doing a good job of tracking it to your point, but that's where the lack of stories come yeah. from. Yeah. Well, that's what we hope to do with the podcast. You know, oh, yeah, like, you great. know, talk to, uh, have long form discussions yep. with industry players, with uh, startups, with yep. investors, uh, professionals who support yeah. the startup community, to founders to build them. Yeah. Um, and kind of integrate everyone to kind of together to have this wholesome conversation. Yeah. So, man, uh, thanks for coming on and being so candid about no, your thank thoughts. You for and uh, me. this has been great, man. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I'm happy to David, be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank man. you. Perfect. Wrap, guys. Perfect. Perfect.